It says essential energy metabolism burns body fat. Do you want to you want to be fat? <laughs> Depends on what time of year it is. <laughs> Do you know if someone if they we've talked about this on the podcast, but if you label something a vitamin, it doesn't need to be approved by the FDA. You can just make a vitamin, put yeah. it in a store. forgot your mic you think no is that four or is that three probably three that's it one was just in your car so it doesn't really count but three total three total i think yeah how do you think we can uh remind ourselves before we go to a podcast to bring an essential item um i just don't think it's gonna happen for me guys (sighs) i don't think it's gonna i'm a very forgetful fellow yeah okay you know my mind's my mind's just elsewhere have you ever gone to a rugby game without your cleats no (laughs) No, there's nothing else on my mind. That's it, true. That's a good point. Mm. I did mm. lose my luggage, though, at the airport the other day. The other day? What yeah, happened? Yeah, entirely my fault. Wait, what happened? You lost it? Explain. Um, I brought a carry-on, right? So I put it on the overhead bin, um, and then I just left the plane. <laughs> what? And I didn't take my carry-on. Did you retrieve the bag? Eventually. How long did it take? What was the process? Uh like a day and a half, two days. God. Oh, wow. So you like left. So, it wasn't no, I, work. So, all right. So here, here's what it, well, it was work. Oh. So normally, normally when I go, I'll, I'll do day trips, right? Yep. And I had just done a day trip earlier that week. So I'm going on the second one. Like I take a look, a little nap on the plane or something. I wake up. Okay. Like we're getting off. Everyone, everyone's always like in such a hurry to get off the plane too. So there's that little bit of, okay, stand up. You know, people are waiting like go, go, go. And then I don't think much of it. And then. Right as I get to the rental car place, I look down and I'm like, I had a bag this time and now I don't have it. Were you, were you in a rush to get off the plane? Uh, like, were you late for a meeting There's or always just pressure, right? There's yeah. always pressure. There's always people. People are always so angsty to get off the plane, right? So I, I feel like I need to be timely with my departure. So anyways, I realized that I don't have it. And then I go back into the airport and I don't know who to talk to. So I go to the, the ticketing people. And I say, hey, you know, this is kind of embarrassing, but this is what happened. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That happens all the time. I'm like, I kind of doubt it, but thank you for <laughs> making me feel better. Um, and so they call the gate and then the gate's like, oh, yeah, we got it. We already put it on the on the on the belt. Like it should be coming down in any minute now. So I go down there and I wait. And Oh, like the baggage claim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then I go down there and I wait and nothing. And then so I go see the person that's at the baggage claim and then they call back up to the plane. And the plane's like, oh, you know, we didn't put it on yet, but we got it. So. Once the plane is done uh, boarding this next flight, we'll 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 put it on there, and then wait another twenty minutes, and then turns out we call back and they're like, oh no, we we didn't say we had it, we just said we were gonna look for it, and so anyways, I end up waiting like an extra hour after I get off, and the bag is nowhere to be found, so they, well, they ended up they ended up calling me and it made its way back to Charlotte somehow. So well, Andy had know. false hope that it was coming down. It kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, damn. But it was on me, you know, and that's just that's just the forgetfulness. So. Don't expect 100% ratio of remembering the mic going forward well, is what I'm well, trying to say. Well, one thing we also forgot is to introduce Brian. Oh, we didn't here today. We didn't forget. We, we didn't forget. There. But we were getting there. Not to forget. Hello, Brian. How are we doing? 
Welcome to the podcast. I didn't know if we were live or not because I thought since Don was late by an hour, he was just testing out his mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we like to start uh, the podcast. Let's go. First one. There, there we go. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, is there anything else we can do to introduce Brian? Are we just going to say his name? Is there anything interesting about him? Why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah. Like this is like an interview. You told me this wasn't like an yeah, interview. Yeah, it's actually it's a panel interview. <laughs> remember, remember when you in college when you start a new class and the, there's those couple teachers that make you go around and say a fun fact about yourself. I hated mm-hmm. it. Is that what we do on the pod now? To our guests. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. Did you do this with the last guest, Brian? Did you prepare for this? Um, no, not at no, all. No, we, we haven't done this for any. Oh, did explicitly said, "Don't worry, you don't have to prepare for anything." <laughs> <laughs> Super cash. We. Bru- Will this impact our ability to get guests in the future if they hear us asking for fun facts? All right, Brian, you're off the hook. All right. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast. A good friend of ours. So, uh, commercial real estate mogul. No? Mogul? More like professional. Professional. That's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Aspiring Never mogul. Never knew. Aspiring mogul. Does yeah. mogul mean like you have to have like a ton of properties? I don't know. That's a good question. I think that's, uh, isn't that tycoon? People say I'm a tycoon. I think mogul, <laughs> mogul and tycoon in my mind are, are pretty synonymous. Yeah, I agree. But but mogul, be some but kind mo- of you know, like tycoon, you could do a, like roller coaster tycoon. That's what I was thinking about. I thought tycoon and, had like a bad I, connotation to it. But I, I don't think like you'd have a roller. Landlord. I thought tycoon was like the. Douche I, I don't think you'd have a, a roller coaster mogul, mogul though. Yeah. You know, anything that's been on your mind lately, Brian? Any pet peeves? Uh, lip smacking when people eat their food. Yes, I can. Like I have like. Can I try to make the sound canceling on my AirPods, and this one guy at work, he just smacking away. Well, you had your the AirPods in the and, uh, noise and with music, and I could still hear and it. noise canceling. Correct. What's he eating? What's he sound like? Can you give us a? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mm, wow! Sounds like a lot creamy. of tongue. A lot of tongue. Is there an overlap? <laughs> is there an overlap between people who lip smack uh, and and people who are mouth breathers? Is it is it a ventilation issue? Do you figure, where you just, you can't get any air in the nose, so as you're eating, you have to kind of, you know, oh, like as you're eating. That's yeah. Why I mean, you can't that. you can't if you're a mouth breather, right? You don't breathe out of your nose. So while you're eating, you're that's where you breathe out of, right? So if you're eating, then you your breathing just becomes disabled unless you start mm-hmm. taking some big smacks. You know, you can't mm-hmm. chew with your mouth closed. Can I ask is is there a different culture of this individual? Like, is he, is he getting, a, diff, here, a different culture? What are you talking about? What are you getting at, dude? Well, other other cultures believe that chewing with your mouth open is a sign of respect. Like the, the food is good and it's respectful, and it's like everyone does that at the dinner table. You don't know about this? Brian, dude, you're yeah. making Brian. Yeah, slurping is one. I, yeah. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. Dude, these are the hard no, no. So it's just, it's just my cousin does. Okay, okay. And All right, like, okay. I'm mean, just yes. people like some of just bad manners when yeah. he's eating. It's like it's it's brutal. Okay. You see people Why is there one wink stuff at him? Not like a like slap, like giving him a slap or like throwing. Like, so he he's aware that he does it. Yeah, but I think he like he still just does, like he must do it when he's like by himself too. It's like one of those things. Yeah, mm. he just grew up and no one really said you can't do that. Why do you have a... <laughs> Dom is just so <laughs> thrown that I asked that question. <laughs> do you have a pet peeve? Co- Why don't we all share? Specifically well, related to eating, maybe? Uh, no, um, it can't be specific to eating because I don't have one. I think I'm a bit of a, a heavy eater. Dude, I, I... I chew my gum loudly, at least. I will say I that... People don't like it. Oh, oh you chew gum loudly? Yeah. 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 Just I, pet peeves. You, no, like, people what, tell what me do? that I chew gum loudly. <laughs> 
And some people get really annoyed about it. And I think most people either just don't care, like myself. Pet peeves. I don't know what a bad pet peeve is. I'm trying to think. There's definitely ones I have. but it- Oh, I... All right. So, regarding eating, I don't like to share food with people, even though sometimes I do. But if, like, someone reaches over and takes something from my plate, mentally, I was preparing to eat it and like I had a sequence I was like you know what I'm gonna take one more bite of this and then I'm going back to that and then if whatever that is is gone I'm thrown off I'm thrown off my my pace I'm thrown off I don't know I just I I, I someone needs to ask me and like sometimes Selena and I'll share a dish or something but that's like an appetizer I think that's kind of a dig I think you're you're voicing this out on the podcast no. with Selena and Eric Selena knows yeah, yeah. no I, I voiced this to Selena sometimes Selena like do you want to share something I'm like I, I need my own plate and she'd be like okay you see, you're, you're, a very, you're a very strategic eater. You've got a game plan for, right. your, for your plate. And I think it starts, I used to, if I had three things on my plate, I used to eat one at a time. I had to finish one and then go to the next. So maybe that's why. I don't know. So Thanksgiving's coming up. Yeah. How does that translate to your Thanksgiving plate, Ryan? What's, what's the first thing off the plate? First thing off the plate? And, and what are you mixing? Because it sounds like you like to... First thing, test here. the turkey while it's hot. Test okay. it while it's hot. You know, um, after that, I go straight to the stuffing. One and two. You don't mix? One, two, punch. Hmm. Mm, no, not a, not a big mixer. You don't mix? No. Oh. Well, he just no. said he, mixing, he, doesn't like to, he doesn't like to mix. He likes turkey to and, Oh, dude. Like, don't I, tell me you're one who just puts the fork in and spins it all around. No, I don't spin oh, it around. That's ridiculous. That's, oh, my dude. gosh. I, well, you, what do you mean by mixing then? Because it's well, I'll get turkey, stuffing, and mashed potatoes. That's disgusting. One scoop with that is, gravy. That's, 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 that's disgusting. That's, that's fantastic. Right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't do that. But I do like the sequencing between back and forth and like getting yeah. kind of around the table. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, get the, get the turkey while it's hot. I will say that, and this is a take that a lot of people say, but... If Thanksgiving was such a great meal, we'd eat it all the time. We don't eat it all the time. I I disagree with you heavily on this. Please tell me your point then. Well, we do eat a lot of the things just in separate. Stuffing. That that one one I don't don't listen to. How often do you? Turkey is common. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Just turkey. Like no bread. Turkey turkey is not. Just What about sliced turkey? Don't tell me that maybe on a mash speed shop, like as one of your meats counts as like a turkey dinner. I mean, Thanks, sliced man. turkey yeah, like from the no, deli. Back, that's good stuff. Yeah. No, turkey sucks. It's, it's not. It's not a good meat. <laughs> you like, it's no not one a good likes. To, to eat wow, on really? I I eat turkey I guess, during my regular life because it's healthy, not because it tastes good. Well, you know what? You're cooking a turkey is very challenging, and I think Extremely. that that's uh, part of the okay, reason that has nothing. What? But that's why people don't eat it all the time. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. I see your point now. Because you have to. Well, it's like I a twenty-four hour event. It's it's not it's not the elite. Like lunch meat either. No, it's not elite. I, think it's a I wouldn't say it's meat. elite. I think it's a it, really it's a good. good lunch it's meat. not an elite. I said elite lunch meat. What is elite? Oh, give me a good <sighs> pastrami. No, I'm. Pastrami. Yeah, but I I like I, I like a nice like slice like chicken breast or I like a nice like a Virginia ham. Ham. It's got to be ham. Yeah. I think ham. Black is forest ham. Really, really good. Black forest ham. Was mm-hmm. roast beef. Not on the list. Ooh. Uh, not a big roast beef guy. I really? think it has to be paired with bacon in a sandwich. Roast, roast beef, beef and bacon? Uh, what? Not not roast beef. Just in in your sandwich in general. Anytime you add bacon to your <laughs> sandwich, it's gonna be good. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, even no. if it is roast. But you don't beef. need. Yeah, bacon. You know what? Roast beef and bacon. Roast beef and bacon. I've... Never had the two yeah. together. Well, it'd be nope. better. 
I, I think yeah. it would. It probably would. Uh, let, let's let's. All right, we we got turkey under the microscope now. The the other Thanksgiving foods. To Alex's point, let's go through. And yeah, do a let's go bit through of an this. We've already here. put down turkey and stuffing. What's next? I want potatoes. Oh, oh I mean yeah. staple. I mean that's it's honestly the glue that holds everything together. Do you, all right. To, to to Alex's point, the turkey's tough to prepare. Mashed potatoes as a base to your meal. If you're comparing them to substitutes, which would be maybe rice or. Um, Mashed sweet or, potatoes? or pasta or something like that. Mm. They they are harder to prepare. Yeah, it takes a long lot longer to prepare. Yeah. So is that why we eat them less, or is it because they're just not as good? I think they're not as good as rice. I would rather have rice. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, I'd rather have depends, pasta. Depends on the mood. Mashed potatoes not that good. Depends on the mm. mood. Dom, I will good. say this though. Every time I talk to my grandma, probably once a month, but every time I talk to her, she asks how you're doing and how great your sweet potato. Uh, casserole dish oh. was last Thanksgiving. That's very sweet of her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you Dude, made one. Bomb. Yeah. Bomb. Yeah, I haven't made it since. So good. Do you put the marshmallows on top? I did, yeah. Oh, so it's like yeah. dessert? Yeah, it's I love fantastic. that. Yeah, that's really good. I got to dig that recipe up. But, so, mashed potatoes. so mashed potatoes, I just don't think... Sweet potatoes now, I, I'll give... I'll, I'm a big I'll fan of green bean casserole, I'll be honest with you. Agreed. I think big. that's one of the best, most underrated things at Thanksgiving. What else do you do? You guys have any weird like family tradition? Oh, some people do some weird stuff. Oh, like, yeah, Brian, you, you, guys, you got something. What you got, Brian? What's what's the favorite? not me personally, but like so grew up in New Jersey. Like sometimes people just like say hell with the turkey and stuffing, and they just have like this massive like Italian food dinner. Oh, oh that's really? kind of cool. Oh, I like Which I like actually that. would. It sounds anti-American, but I. <laughs> I'm kind of on board with that. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be mad if I showed up and I was a guest at that dinner. I'd be like, all right. Are we talking pasta? Mm. Yeah. Have you seen The Sopranos? Yeah. <laughs> it's in The Sopranos. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Whereas, like, the, the, the turkey's just, like, kind of at the corner it's of the just table. There for and looks. Then, yeah. And then it's got, oh, like, everything. It's else. like a turkey for respect in the corner and then, but let's eat what we want to eat kind of thing. Exactly. Mm. What about, like, cranberry sauce? Is that a thing for you guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's cranberry sauce is a thing. It's got to be from the can, um, though. It's, See, I don't it's, like cranberry sauce. I'm just not. That's a good take. Is that a hot take? No, what, what that's a it? good take. From the it's gotta can? be from the can. It's gotta yeah. be from the can. I don't like the ones that are hot. I don't like hot cranberry. Agreed. No, it's gonna be like the jello otherwise hot you have the to... can. This is the it's the dichotomy of a cold cranberry sauce and a hot turkey. Ooh, Ooh yeah. That's, that's why good. you mix it. That's good. That makes sense. The that makes sense. The one redeeming meal from Thanksgiving that I will say is elite in my book is the leftover sandwich. On a King Hawaiian roll, King's Hawaiian roll with turkey, stuffing, and cranberry sauce in there. Maybe you throw a little green bean casserole in there too if you're feeling a little froggy. I think everyone's mouth's watering a little bit. That's good. That's, it's, it w- yeah. I, I might argue that the leftovers are better than the other. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. Leftovers are definitely better. Which doesn't why go along weird. Way, which is weird. Why, why is that? Maybe because all day you're smelling it in the kitchen and... You get used when you to eat it. it, you're kind of like, okay, like I kind of feel like I ate this today. Alex, you're, you're assuming day. that I help prepare the meal. I, I do not do that. That's I show, fair. I show up to eat. That, we're, we're usually those, so I guess I'm just used to that. Mm. Yeah. So things. No, no other takes on what's. Sometimes when things gel together too, it's like better. Maybe because. Mm. Maybe it's because you have a lower expectation for the. Because I mean, what would happen? What would happen if you show up to my place for Thanksgiving? You know, maybe Brian doesn't want to go home for Thanksgiving and. It's like, yeah, Brian, come with, come with me. Come to my family's Thanksgiving. And we sit down at the table, say our say our prayer, go around the table, say what we're thankful for, maybe, and then dinner comes out, and you're looking at a plate with a King's Hawaiian roll, turkey, 
cranberry sauce stuffing, all in just a little Sammy. You're you're you're, you're probably going to be pretty upset, right? You're like, this isn't a meal. You hold it to a higher standard. I, I think know. the leftover you hold to a lower standard, mm. and it's a really elite leftover. Yeah, especially if you come from a family that like wants to like dresses up the table very nicely and does all this. You like, gotta have the elegant meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what, Alex? We're, this goes back to your your, chaos, your right? never-ending search for value. And there's nothing wrong with I, that. I think I think there's there's too much fluff around the Thanksgiving meal. There's not a lot of value in it. Hmm. Oh, we got we got. <laughs> Penny's in slight timeout. She doesn't know it yet, but she is. Um, I think a little part of it is forgetting what is left over in the fridge and then going to the fridge, seeing what you have and being like, Ooh, I didn't know we had any of that left. Like that shit was good. And throwing a little concoction together, you know, I feel no? like that applies well beyond just Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. that's more of a general, but, but I think that just but, plays. Into but when do you bit. ever have so many options outside of Thanksgiving that mesh so well together in a leftover? Or, you know, platter. Like usually, if it's you go point. to the fridge for leftovers, you have one very specific thing. Yeah. So now you have like a lot. I think post Thanksgiving, mm. you have a much wider array with which to to craft mm. and a lot of it. Leftover Sammy. So you don't have to feel bad about destroying all of it. of it. Is there a better holiday meal though? Like, do you think Christmas is oh, a better yeah, meal? Oh yeah, dude. Christmas, Christmas ham. We always get a ham. We always get ham. We always get ham. People eat different oh. stuff for Christmas. Oh man, ham! I guess is probably the most. Okay, famous. but like your personal lives, like like Fourth of July, do you guys like do it all up? Like, um, oh, hot know. dog! Surprisingly, like multiple, like Easter, Easter, Easter. like brunch. Easter's pretty good. It's a good yeah. one. Easter's Deviled good eggs. One. Deviled eggs are probably my go-to favorite. Mm. Never, never been a Fourth fan. of July's money though. I mean, Fourth of July as a holiday is is probably my favorite. Honestly, it's the most fun, in my opinion. I feel like you could like make anything. Like you got barbecue, you got burgers. Like you could kind of sneak anything in there. Like, yeah, yeah. In the name of America, like just yeah, just put red white. Like everything on works. And, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. I think I I don't know. What what's your, what are our favorite holidays? Just in general. I will say, even though I just shit on Thanksgiving's food, Thanksgiving's up there. I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, no, but people get. I just drink beer and but isn't that play, inter- play games? It's interesting that like Thanksgiving might be like one of the only holidays with like a meal, like a pretty set meal plan. Mm. Well, all right, right, you guys, no yeah. other holiday. We're we're shitting on. All right, do you know what I look forward to every year though at Christmas time? Whenever, so I haven't been to my. My grandma and grandpa moved from Illinois. They moved to Missouri. But growing up through college, we would always do Christmas morning at our house. And then we drive to my grandma and grandpa's. And my grandma, incredible cook, uh, as all grandmas are, she would make tacos every Christmas. Tacos? Fantastic. I looked forward to Christmas tacos every year. Christmas themed? Is there anything different about them? Or are they just straight tacos? Tacos. That's I, I have a similar experience actually when I go back home for, for Christmas. What's that? My my aunt on my dad's side of the family uh, married into a Mexican family. So every Christmas we'll do tamales, Mexican rice, mm. beans. Oh. Fantastic. Probably my favorite meal of the year, the tamales. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But but best holiday, I'm gonna say um I'm gonna say New Year's. Ooh. That's that's <laughs> Why do you like it so much? Um, I think it's the only one that really makes sense. <laughs> See, I think it's no time out. I think it's the only one that doesn't make sense. 
No. What? Everything else is celebrating a day because of something. It's just a new year. Like, it's just like, yeah, you know, we changed the calendar. It's, it's a... We changed the calendar from December to January. It's like, how is it any any, any different than April? All the May? other holidays are just made up stuff for the most part. You just change a number on the calendar. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a reflection of a, a full year, a full lap around the sun. Usually people say New Year's is there. And it's a party. It's fun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's. I'm not, do you I'm think you'll I'm ever. I'm not like other guys, Brian. Do you think you'll ever <laughs> not stay up till midnight for New Year's? Oh, I already have. Every year. No, I, I've tw- two oh, years I, in a row. I fell asleep at like 9 p.m. one one year. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? You think? Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure at some point. Okay. I think probably it, in that stage when you have young kids or something. Do you do you not like do you like staying up or do you just like the aspect of like the new a start to something new and the ability to like I like start the reset. Fresh, I like unquote. the start to something new. Yeah. I like the kind yeah. of mindset framing around it, and then I like I, I enjoy the party. But if I'm not going to a party for New Year's, then it's a bit arbitrary. I feel like you like the like you like structured time frames. Like even like this month, it's like all right, November one, I'm not gonna do. Yeah, you know, whatever drink for for the month, I like you're so. very like structured in that way, which is interesting. So I, I could see why New Year's yeah. is your favorite. It's like a it's like a benchmark moment. Hmm. Okay, what do you got? I'm I'm not on Team New Year's. No. What about what? What are you on? What team are you on? I like Christmas. Um, Memorial Day weekend is always a good time. Yeah, yeah. Cool My problem with New Year's though is that the expectation is up here, and it never it never gets there. <laughs> Cause like all like everyone feels like they've got to have like this insane plan, this party, and everyone's trying to do the same thing. Like Ubers are like four hundred dollars to go a mile and a half. It's just like there's a lot of like pressure to like make it this like insane night, and half the time it's just like eh, that was that was fun. That is a good point about the Ubers. The Ubers can ruin a New Year's. Yeah. What's your What's your guys' opinion on Halloween? I think it's the worst holiday, actually. Yeah, actually, I, 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 yeah. I think it's Halloween worst, and then New Year's. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I like Halloween. So yeah. this sounds this sounds maybe crazy, but like I saw this reel the other day, which I it's probably it has a little bit of a religious context to it. But it was like basically like they were saying like like Christians or even like people who are of any faith like that, like Catholic, whatever. Should not celebrate Hall- Halloween. Why? Because there's like a lot of people use satanic like costumes and stuff, and like I actually kind of agree with that. Thinking about it, like why do we dress up like the devil? Like that's pretty weird. I was an astronaut. I mean, <laughs> okay, so you like dressed up for it's like, like, I'm not like why? <laughs> like why? It's like like don't come at me. you don't take my fun, it's, Alex. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like why dress up like something you're not? Well, you know? what are you gonna dress well, up like everyone. yourself, dude? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Wasn't you do wasn't, that every day? Also, also, remember when we were like, don't take candy from strangers, and then oh, but except for this day, so you can go to any house you want and just get candy. That's what, yeah, it's just cool. so want to do it all year long, and you can't. Otherwise, you're gonna get snatched. Also, but today you can't. Also, I'll be honest. I think it's kind of cool. I've seen so many videos and actually experienced this this year, where adults came to an empty bo- to a bowl and like. Shoveled the whole bowl in their own and like their kids' bag. Adults, adults, and after that, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm like, I'm done. Carmel, get him. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what's going on. Well, thirteen year olds, like I get it. The Everyone does out it. there. They shouldn't have the bowls out there. If you're gonna be in a highly trafficked Halloween 
area, you got to be answering the door, handing the candy out to the kids. It's a risky take putting the bowl out there. What you got, Brian? Wait, hold on. You can't let the bad actors. <laughs> hold on, going on here. It's, it's the worst everybody. holiday ever. Did, does anyone have a agree with me that this is the worst holiday? You said you. Oh, I, it's I the disagree. Worst holiday. You I disagree. disagree. Yeah. Okay. What uh, what's the worst holiday? The worst holiday uh, is a federal holiday where they don't give you work off. Okay. <laughs> so, so was that like Columbus Day? Columbus Martin Day is Luther King Jr. One. Day is usually not off dumb. for some people. Some people it is. Columbus Day, actually, does this make it bad or good? Uh, Columbus Day, I get off. Um, and I think it's just a stupid holiday. Like it just, we, we just just put a day there. We're just looking for days to take off work. Mm. And threw it in there. Is there somewhere so, uh, and that's what I'm saying. Is it a good thing? Because it's, it's just, hey, someone snuck one in there for the team. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pointless. Well, I think at one point when it was made, it probably meant more. Like, did they make it like you know, in a relevant time frame after Columbus landed in America, or have we just been working and someone's like, man, we gotta find an excuse to get another day off, and they're like, what about the day Columbus landed in the? And someone was like, Plymouth Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why aren't we celebrating that? Just add it. I don't know. It's a good question. And then someone's like, no, we can't do that. And then they're like, do you hate America? Okay, I think there should be, there should be, a holiday added. Okay. Day after Super Bowl. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think there's nothing. It's always on a Sunday. That's night. Super American. I love that. Yeah, of course. I would love it so much if we took it off and other countries had to take it as. Maybe they'd have to take it as a bank holiday. Whoa. Because we just shut down. Markets are turned off. But don't we do that for Thanksgiving in other countries? Just do their normal thing? Yeah. Yeah, but I they probably can't right. be they probably can't be nearly as productive. Dude, other countries in some don't really care. Like in India has their whole own like schedule. Like they don't care what, what days we have off. They just do their like because we work with an India team and yeah, but they're they less, take off random days, we take off random days. Yeah, they're probably less productive though. And that makes me Maybe. happy. Maybe. You're all about Well production. they're probably happy that, you know. That we're off and, you know, probably get a little break. Slackers. They just don't have the same work ethic. It's <laughs> <laughs> very American of you. <laughs> Are there any other days you think, like holidays that should be holidays? That's what I, was, I was just thinking about that, too. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like election days should be off. Hmm. Every four years. I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, there's an election day every year. Right? Like presidential election. But like presidential election. Like if we are really talking about like, oh, like, you know, everyone's voting and whatever and like all these voting issues, like let's just take off for a day. Otherwise, it's like people are trying to go to work, drop their kids off and like, like how do you have time to do it? That's true. Legally, like, you know, you should, you, you do get a day that a makes time sense. off to vote. Do you call it a holiday? Technically. Technically. Yeah. Can I don't know. I guess so. I guess it qualifies as a holiday. I nice. I do think that should be important enough to warrant just a day off work, though. Mm. I'm just trying to solve the war problems here. You know? Yeah, we're all talking about. <laughs> hey, that's what the half and half club was founded for. So I think the Super Bowl. You know, that's the, the Monday. I think it solves one. a lot of problems too. I think that's the most obvious. Yeah, one that's missing. I think speaking of changing days and going back to Halloween, we need to have Halloween on like the last weekend. Every October, not the thirty first, and just like, oh, it's Tuesday night. Go trick or treat, no, and then eat your no. candy, and then be no. candy hungover the next day. It's cool. It's, it's 
great hangover. Great hangover. It's, no, it's the worst. It's the worst. And some of my best memories were when my boys came over. It was on a weekend. And, like, as kids, they came over. We, like, slept over, did candy trades. Like, that was so fun. So if you had that the every kids year. kids don't need a day off. They, uh, no. no, I'm not saying it's a day off. I'm saying move it to a weekend. Like, why, why are some holidays flexible and some aren't? Thanksgiving's flexible. It's true. So he's on a Thursday. Yeah, I but if Christmas falls on, on a Monday, you got to go back to work on Tuesday. Yeah, Ooh. I know. It's, Christmas, it but Christmas like makes sense. Thursday, then it's like nobody's really working Monday. To well, Chris, Christmas makes sense, though, because it's, a, it's representative of a birth of Jesus, not Halloween, which is just like. What's his name? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Getting religious in this podcast today. I think he was born in the <laughs> No, summer. I just laugh at how you said it. Jesus. <laughs> There's never been a worse time to buy instead of rent, boys. Is that so? And initial reactions. I think we've all we've all talked about buying a home and becoming homeowners recently. Brian, I don't know if you've had any thoughts on uh, whether or not that's something that you'd like to do in the near future. But Alex, Ryan, you know, we've we've all spent a decent bit of time kind of thinking about it. Alex, I think you've maybe gotten a little bit farther than some of us, but. Uh, that was uh, the headline of a Wall Street Journal article that came out maybe a week or two back that we shared in the group and, and all had some reaction to. Um, Alex, thoughts? What's your what's your take? I mean, it's 100% accurate. Very true. I think so. But we can maybe go into that more. So that's my initial reaction is, yeah, makes sense. Ryan? Yeah, makes sense. Um, and more just upsetting. Because, you know, now we're at the time in our lives where we're looking to buy a home and it's the worst it's ever been. So just terrible timing. Yeah. Brian, any thoughts from you? Are, is buying a house something that you've thought about or is it uh, are you still in a stage of your life where renting kind of makes more sense for you? Alex and I talked about it a little bit. Like I was looking a little bit further past Loso at one point, but I just couldn't justify paying that amount to live somewhere that I didn't think I was going to enjoy living there. So I've you know, put that on the shelf and just renewed my lease. But it's just like kind of what you said, just kind of frustrating, you know? Yeah. All right. A few sound bites from the article. Uh, it's now 52% more expensive to buy a home than to rent one because of climbing mortgage rates. Now in theory, traditionally buying and renting costs should be roughly matched, right? And the last time we had an imbalance similar to the mag- to the magnitude we're seeing now was pre-2008 housing crash where the premium peaked at 33%. Before that, the highest, the only time we've been higher with the imbalance of um, the, the cost to buy versus rent was 1996. So, so, so the probably premium, about the time when we were born. born. So, so the premium discount is, you're saying, the difference between the rent and yes. buy yes. payments. So if, if renting and buying were of equal cost, it would be zero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I mean, we're getting into this, but I think obviously the fed funds rate is a big part of it, but there's, I actually don't think that's the main issue at all. Uh, I think that's part of the problem, but there's, I think a lot of other aspects to it. So like we've had this rate, We've had a rate at 14 plus percent in the 80s. Um, and then we had this rate in the early 2000s. So this is not uncommon. 
Are you the the soundbite that took me a little bit aback from from that was that we had such a significant uh, imbalance pre um, 2008 financial crisis. I I had kind of thought initially before looking into it that um, so many people were buying homes, so many people were were um, uh, you know getting easy lending and stuff that 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 would have only been the case because it was cheaper to buy than it was to rent. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Do, do you get is that what you would have thought as well? Did that strike you as odd a little bit? Maybe, maybe, but I don't know. Did, did you have something to say? I know you were. I don't, I don't have a, a direct opinion on that. Like I don't, I'm not too sure. You were gonna say something earlier, right? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking like, yes, in the '80s, like mortgage rates were pushing like high teens, and we're we've been used to like a very low interest rate environment prior to COVID, where this is like a big shock to the system. But I'd like to see just to understand like the full impact of everything, the combination of rising interest rates, rising costs relative to when mortgage rates were as high as they were in the 80s because I feel like there's a lot more that's you know adding to like the reason why we're all kind of feeling that yeah today yeah not justifying that mortgage rates should be as high as they were in the yeah, 80s yeah, at yeah, all. yeah I'm just I agree with that yeah so I, th- I think the going back to the point about we haven't seen anything this high since the since pre-2008 levels that did kind of take me aback, and I was I was thinking kind of like what what were the, you know, dynamics that would make it uh, more expensive to buy versus rent back then? Because it was kind of the opposite of what I would have expected, and from looking into it a little bit, I think it wasn't necessarily that it was cheaper to buy than it was to rent at that point in time, but it was more down to lending standards being so much lower. I mean, if we've we've all seen. Um, the big short, right? You know, like, and, uh, who is it from, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know who the, no, the guy who's the, the mortgage banker in the, in the big short, he's on new girl Schmidt. From oh, new girl. Schmidt. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays, yeah. He plays the character perfect, but he's just like, oh, yeah, we're just printing money out here. Essentially yeah. they'd lend to anybody. The other thing I was thinking too, is the adjustable rate mortgages where you basically qualify on your initial teaser rate. And then all of a sudden the price just spikes on you. Um, and then I think the other thing that drove up the home values so much or, or or kind of home ownership and the cost related to it, the demand side of it, was that kind of massive appreciation in home value that, that kind of created the bubble. And people see such a sharp upward tick in the value of their home that they begin to think that this is a great investment and this is going to continue forever and my home is going to keep, you know, my home equity is going to keep doubling in value every year and I need to get in on this and they had the ability to do so. You know, there wasn't that barrier to entry that we face today. Um, so I don't know, th- those are things that I was kind of thinking about from a, from a, like a, a bubble perspective that says that, you know, this time is, it, it's not necessarily warning signs, right? That, that we're seeing comparisons to, to that point in time. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it too, is just a lot of these like buyers rent, um, analysis also has to do with the cost of just owning a home. And now they're saying like the cost to own a home is like, what was it like? I think I read six hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars over the life of the average home, which is over average home price in like America is like something around like three fifty. So, uh, okay, so that's double of what 
the cost of a house would be just to maintain it through its life. Is that? Do you think that's inclusive of like real estate taxes? And yep, utilities that's. Yep, and I think that's inclusive. It, everything that doesn't include HOA, but it includes everything else like repairs and stuff. And I think mm-hmm. um, as blue collar jobs have become less prioritized. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of those people are going way up too. Great yeah. point. And Great I think point. that's a huge, and also raw materials mm-hmm. are becoming a lot more expensive. Um, as we know, like lumber was a big issue in the past um, year. So to me, like it, even, I mean, even speaking from experience, like we, you know, fixed up a house from scratch and I'm looking at the, the bills and I'm like, this, these are incredibly expensive. And I guarantee like, you know, inflation of, all these raw goods is just super high too. So I don't think we've had a, I haven't done research. I haven't seen things that are supportive that, that scenario of raw goods and also repair personnel and service jobs were this high in the past. So I think that's a huge problem with buying now. Yeah. And I think that doesn't even get factored into a lot of the, like the, headline you see here and and a lot of other things people i think people are truly looking at here's the cost to service my mortgage versus what it cost me to rent and that's still way lopsided before even factoring in those other factors you just mentioned yeah. which are which are only getting you know real estate taxes are only going to go up as home They're values only going go up. up all these services are only yep. going to go up that just makes this number worse it does it well really i think i think these are i think they include it because there's assumption about Usually when you're modeling this stuff out, it's like you, you you add in a percent of repairs and maintenance, but it's more the people who take out loans thinking they can afford the mortgage payment. And they're like, oh, wait, I have to buy a mower? Mm-hmm. Oh, it costs my uh, my friend, his sister has a house that's like a five-acre home in Pennsylvania. Uh, maybe it's a little less than that. It's probably like three acres. But it costs $600 to mow her lawn each time. Wait, what? Yeah. So it's like, you don't think about that when you buy a house, you know, or, okay, fine. Then you have to buy a, a zero turn mower to do it yourself. And it's going to cost you gallons and gallons of gas, which probably went up in price because of, you know, a lot of legislation and moved to away from fossil fuels. So it's, it's, everything is going up in price. It costs her six, just, yeah, 600 bucks, 600 bucks. Every I'm time. I'm not joking. Yeah. How often does she have a cut? I mean, I don't know, like probably once, probably once a, um, a week. Once a week? Probably. I mean, I guess during the spring, yeah. Yeah, dude, in the spring and summer, if it's raining, yeah. We do it at our place two times a week, my family. We do it probably more than most. But. Yeah, I just remember back to my days in high school. We we, we don't need to get off a huge tangent on this, <laughs> but like, holy shit, that's so much. Yeah, like, I know. I, I grew know. up on two. Ryan, 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 Ryan never got to college if he was getting paid six hundred. I grew up on. I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's that's yeah. that's that's nuts. Well, I. Up until high school, you know, I lived in a house that had two acres, and obviously, you know, I mean, we had a riding mower and a push mower, and we would mow it ourselves, but, like, if we, I just remember in high school, I helped my friend mow yards, and that was, you know, he had, like, 20 or 30, and I would help him mow, and he would do some for, like, 30 bucks, 35 bucks, like, yeah, three acres is a lot, don't get me wrong, but that's... It's a big yard, but still, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's pretty high. Well, I, I guess too, and maybe we can get to this a little bit later in the conversation as well. But when you're talking about a property like that, right, where it, it has big enough acreage to where you have to pay six hundred bucks to mow the lawn, I think some of these it, it, it kind of comes down to where you want to live, right? And that kind of property that has that much space and you know that that type of property generally isn't going to be something that you can just rent. Yeah, you know, or, or those opportunities to do so are a lot 
fewer and it's more just maybe you know someone lived there and they didn't want to sell the property it's like someone maybe passed away or something and they're renting it until they can find something else to do with it yeah but if you if you want to live on land like that i think you just don't have a lot of opportunity to be able to to rent that and you have to buy which which could be some of the factors into our uh our, our discussion but you know move us on a little bit what do we got in here um so i, I mean alex you, you already you already kind of said it right mortgage rates above eight percent for the first time since 2000 um they've been consistently climbing which is inclining so the the soundbite from the article was a four hundred thirty thousand dollar home with a ten percent down payment results in about a $3,200 monthly payment, 60% more than it was just three years ago. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's the rapid increase. I think that's probably been so disheartening for us in particular, uh, especially our age group thinking, you know, where were we three years ago? We were probably right at that stage where we're, you know, finally starting jobs and, and starting to gain some traction in them and finally being able to have some income that we can put away towards that goal of home ownership and an eventual down payment. And at that point in time, it looks pretty achievable. Fast forward three years and, and it's 60% more expensive than it was before. Yeah. But you know, I think weirdly enough, I think we're in a better spot than a lot of people for this situation. Because we can probably afford this right now, but we and we can also, you know, adjustable rate mortgages can move, right? You can or you can refinance. So, to me, it's like it's a short-term thought. The problem is the price of these homes have not gone down. Usually, when mortgage rates go up, prices go down, but that hasn't been the case in a lot of geographic areas. There's been some slowing, but here's here's what I heard, and this is such a the opposite of what you would think. When rates are rising, you'd think there's less demand. But, pardon me, actually, people are realizing that I don't want to, if I sell my home, then I'm not have to buy a new, you know, I've been locked in at a lower rate, right? So they're not willing to sell their home, but demand is still up there to buy homes. So prices haven't come down. There's a lot of demand still, which is why prices remain the same at these higher rates. So to me, it's like, it's like you've got conflicting supply and demand issues all at once, you know? Like, I, demand's still there, supply is lower, rates are high. Isn't that weird? Well, it, it, I think it would make... The thing that makes it all make sense is just because the inventory of single-family homes, the the ownership is made up of people who refinance their rates at all time lows. Yeah. So they have no incentive to sell. So otherwise, you know, if, if we had mortgage rates that weren't predominantly fixed and just kind of flowed with the market, there would be a lot more people who are willing to sell right now. But if you imagine yourself as someone who locked in, you know, an all time low, you know, 2%, 3% mortgage rate and your monthly payment is a thousand bucks and, if you want to, there's just, there's just no way you're selling right now. Cause yeah. what do you sell into? Unless yeah. you have two homes or something, maybe you can, right, right. you can afford to sell one. But if you have to sell, then you have to buy a new place. If it's of equal value to yours, 
your your monthly payment just triples. So there's there's no one who's willing to sell right now unless it's a forced sale because of either death or uh, having to move for whatever reason. Good point. I know you're the moderator, Dom. Can I ask yeah. Alex a quick question based off what he just said? Yeah, absolutely. Based off what you just said about the supply and demand and how they're commingling and the whole issue right now, how does how do you see that issue in Charlotte with not a lot of supply, a lot of young people who are getting to a point where they're looking to buy houses, yet Charlotte's growing, but is is that going to be capped because of because of the demand issue? A supply issue. You mean you think you and think people that, are going to have to move out just to buy a home? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think I think that that's everything is priced in now with everything. So demand is higher here because people are net inflow of people here. Right. Taxes are still way lower than all of the Northeast, especially where we're from. People are. It's still cheaper for people to come down here. That's why you get a lot of mm. all cash offers. So my point is, yes, you're right. Like, I don't think there's definitely regional aspects of it, but I think. Places like Charlotte, um, and even really affordable places like I do think Columbia, South Carolina, is going to be a big spot. Like Charleston is, but it's going to grow more. Like Florida, like even the Sun Belt in general, all the places that are like affordable and hot booming cities, like are just going to keep going up. That's what's weird about this supply demand issue because, I mean, regionally it's always going to be different. So, and I think here it's definitely different for us, and I think that's why demand is always going to be high here. Yeah, I well to Alex's point, I think it's so you can look at it on the on the scale of the United States yeah. as a whole and a lot of these like the Wall Street yeah. Journal article, it's going to look at affordability and it, it has to do the US as a whole because it's a high level article, right? And all the all the statistics you're going to see are at that level, but real estate is so driven by markets and specific sub-markets and areas to to like like you mentioned Ryan, like Charlotte, which is gr- there's tons of demand here are going to have a wildly different, um, uh, dynamic than, uh, a wheeling West Virginia, right? My, my college hometown where I think one of you guys shared a, uh, I TikTok did, Alex, Alex I did, dude, I'm West Virginia, someone man. bought I'm a house joking. for what, like 10 grand, $16,000. Like $16, yeah. So the dynamics are just going to be so much, uh, so much different. It's just all moved to wheeling. <laughs> yeah. Brian, you want to move to Let's wheeling? Let's pick West it up. Virginia? I mean, for ten thousand dollars, I'll move anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's Brian. Yeah, Brian see, that's what I'm home. saying. What do you got here? Let's see. Um, I got, you got some charts. I, I think, yeah. To, the to continue on with our conversation, you know, we're 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 looking at um, a graph of uh, the average mortgage rates. So quickly spiked above eight percent. We can see kind of like the last time that it was up that high was was. Um, 2000s but honestly we can also see that we've been you know coming through a period of extremely low interest rates and that's not something that's actually been um you know a a traditional norm and probably not something that we should uh, definitely not something that we should expect to return to so if you think about if you think about people refinancing at the bottom there which is you know 2021 where we're we're dropping below three percent if we think about how single family homes are financed with 30 year mortgages. It's like those people have a rate that's way below market for the entirety of that time period, which we probably aren't going to get back to. So I think there could be, you know, some supply constraints just due to that factor for a long time to come. It's not, it's not like there's a a short, it's not like home mortgages are short maturity. 
Um, and then just, just to break it down with the numbers a little bit to help us kind of get a sense for the affordability of a home. Um, they mentioned that it got 60% more expensive. I tried to kind of recreate that. Um, and I didn't get quite the same math as they did, but if we're imagining a home, right in 2023, let's call it 500 grand. I feel like that's fairly average. Um, and you put a down payment into 10%. Obviously you can do lower with some of the first time home buyer, um, programs. Generally it's 20%, but call it 10%, right? Your down payment you're looking at is 50 grand leaving you a loan balance of $450,000 at an interest rate of 8%. Your monthly payment is going to be 3,300 bucks. Uh, rewind to 2020. Like we mentioned that same house, um, kind of baking in a home appreciation figure. It turned out to be, I think like 25% was the, was the average from the, uh, pricing index. Uh, that same house only cost $375,000. So your, your 10% down payment is 37.5 thousand already saving 12 and a half thousand bucks there. Uh, much smaller loan balance interest rate was three and a half percent. Your monthly payment is $1,500. So less than, less than half of what that was before. So, and I mean, I, who's, who's the real, who's the real winner here? Yeah, if you, so, if you so, locked in at one of those home prices, you're so far below market right yeah, now. So I think it's interesting because what you showed here is the mecha mechanics wise, like this goes against what you think because the home you're saying the home price went up. It looks like you have 33%, but you said 25% sure. rates and appreciation should be like offsetting to a certain extent. That's what's crazy, right? Like hypothetically, you're, the monthly payment shouldn't move all that much. Like that's what's crazy about this situation is because the demand is still high and the supply is still low. That's, that's what I think. I mean, out of this conversation, that's the biggest takeaway. I think it's like, it doesn't make sense. You know, and I think there's a lot more other factors, macroeconomic factors that are that are not financially driven. Right. Because it's financially driven. It doesn't this doesn't it doesn't make intuitive sense. It, you're right. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't flow at all in line with what we see in the commercial real estate industry, which is exactly to your point. Interest rates go up. Right. That that clearly impacts um, your cash flow. You have to pay more for debt service. Right. And we've seen the value of commercial real estate drop dramatically and it hasn't happened for single family home ownership. Yeah. Do you think that that's because of inflow of funds and stuff? I was wondering if you guys have a take on that. I was trying to find number of real estate funds 30 years ago versus now as a percentage of, I don't know, let's say purchases or, or bids or mortgage well, I guess it really wouldn't be, but I guess it'd be a mortgage application. I don't really know. Like, what do you guys think? Cause I know you both, I mean, you're both more commercial based, but like, do you guys have any thoughts on that like, number it, of real estate funds? In terms of, I, I guess, what are you trying to get? Are you trying to say there's just more, I'm more saying that institutional, money institutional money because of the data we have that supports that real estate is one of the better investments historically. And that, that means that the inflow of that capital and, driven by establishment of funds is why all of this is going haywire. And obviously we know BlackRock is a big problem. Yeah. We talk about BlackRock, yeah. Blackstone and stuff like that. So, like, well, I think it kind of goes against, I, I think it kind of goes against what we're seeing Alex, right? Because if you think about how 
that type of money is going to operate in a single family space, they're still investors, right? So they're still looking at the cash flow that they can get out of the property. So they do care if interest rates go up, there is going to be significantly less demand for that kind of investment product than. But are they, are they financing it the same way an individual would? And are they bearing less risk because it's pooled capital? It's not your life savings. That's a good question. Um, I, I'd be inclined to believe that institutional players operating in the single family space might often buy all cash up front right. um, in order to, one, get a lower price, increase surety of close. That means a lot to And that's exactly seller. what I mean. Like right now, like this is actually a great time for a lot of people because just get all cash and you'll beat well, out other people. It, it, it would be a great time for if you're an investor who's going to operate on an all cash basis, right, and you want to buy – if the single family housing market saw that dip in valuation that that you saw and the only reason it's doing that is because interest rates are high if you're someone who has a ton of capital pulled up then yeah it makes sense to buy it all cash and just hold it and wait for interest rates to come down again and then use your pool of assets to be able to find attractive financing for it but the valuations are still high so that's why i think the yeah. institutional is having a little bit less of an impact than than you might think it would be I think in a in a market that's operating the way you thought it would was or, or the way you said it was where um, interest rates rising reduces home value, I think it creates a lot more demand for that in, in that space and then you'd see home values rising accordingly. Um, I'm enjoying I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this banter by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what do you guys take? Even it's been a little. Any any thoughts? Yeah. Just listening in. Yeah, I knew you guys are <laughs> immersed in this. I'm not oh, as immersed come on. in this, so I'm 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 learning a thing or two. You know, just just seeing what you guys. All right, well, we'll, we'll bring it up. We'll bring it all back in a second. It. I think this is the last yeah. kind of point I wanted to make. Then from the uh, from the article, and I think it, it trends along with what Alex has been saying all along. Is that if you look at the interest rates and you look at the values, something doesn't make sense. So what is it? Like what what's going on? And I think it truly is that supply demand imbalance and. Going back to kind of what I said, so approximately 80% of outstanding U.S. mortgages have an interest rate below 5%, leading to a squeeze in the supply of houses for sale, right? So if we think about the demand of people who want to buy homes, and, and even leading up to these interest rates, right, when interest rates were at their lowest, if you guys rewind a couple of years back and put yourselves in, in, in our shoes of, of you know people in their mid-20s who are looking to potentially buy their first home, and you remember when interest rates were so low? Think about the bidding wars that went on. Like, yeah. think about how much you got priced out of of the idea of home ownership because, you know, the people you looked at who were buying their homes were saying, you know, we had to put twenty grand, thirty grand, fifty grand, all cash, extra above the value of the home just to be competitive when we're we're bidding for it. So there's a ton of people. A ton of, uh, I think, shadow demand is the is the term they were referring it to of people kind of sitting on the sidelines, like in the back end, just watching and saying, I I want to buy a home. I want to be a homeowner, but I'm not really out there looking for it because I know I can't afford it right now. But as soon as that affordability becomes a thing or that extra supply comes online and, and drops prices, like I'm there. So I think to, to that point, that's kind of what's keeping it up is every every kind of point that interest rates decrease is going to be met with that shadow demand that's been kind of staying on the sidelines, renting apartments, just waiting for it to be, you know, you're waiting for a price point that they can come in the door. 
and 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 when it gets finally gets to that point where you know maybe the the supplies there for you know people our age who are waiting to buy right now really can't because of all of these factors you're talking about whenever it gets to a point where people are finally feeling like they can they're at a point where they can buy a home there's going to be a f- like the the a flood and then I don't I don't the, think the I think it's going to be come back. the bidding wars the bidding come, wars back. come it's back it's just going to be just as competitive you know as it almost is right now between you know companies or people with who can buy cash offers it's just going to be a different bidding war i think yeah. it's still going to be very high still so there was one question i had related to the to the interest rates that i forgot to ask but i i think it's kind of interesting what if you were looking to buy a home right now what breaks first is it the down payment you'd have to make based on how high the home values are so that just initial cash outflow like the or yeah, the fix is yeah. it is it the monthly servicing it's the very it's the yeah uh, because yeah. they're they're both really tough dynamics costs, yeah. for someone right now i don't know brian any thoughts i just think that like looking at it in terms of like you said people sitting on the sidelines waiting for the right opportunity like if you're in a position to save if your goal i guess is to save you know Put down twenty percent for every thousand dollars that you save gives you an additional five grand in buying power. Like you're able to just add to that until you are ready. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you prioritize like at what point like would you feel comfortable spending that save money to achieve like your fixed from there, right? Because you still want to make sure you have like money and savings in case like you lose your job, you have an emergency, you have an accident, like. Just making sure that like, you have enough in reserve. I, I try to look at things from like a fixed, like knowing what's going out the door each month. So you think it's it's the debt service that kind of breaks. You think you'd be comfortable putting in, you know, what it takes to get that down payment. But what what makes a house not achievable is I can't justify from spending a, twice as much as I do now right. on my rent. Agreed. No, I, I see what you're saying. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. You're saying how much is your monthly budget? How much are you willing to budge? You know, how much how much saving are you going to do versus how much are you willing to take a hit each month? Like extend to yeah, just exactly. be able to be an owner. Yeah, well, and and think about this factor that that goes into this decision is every time that I hear of someone buying a home, I hear a different hidden cost behind from this or that. Like we were talking to some friends of ours, and there was like monthly or yearly like a, a termite control fee sure. based yeah. off the HOA and where you live like I think HO- HOA fees HOAs man HOA is a big part of all this that we haven't talked about yet but like every new development has an HOA it's a revenue stream so anyway but that's another topic well yeah and, and and the only supply since we mentioned that so much of it is locked up yeah. is new developments right and yeah new developments are often development. coming yeah. in the form of townhomes and yeah things like that that have an HOA um so I guess looking forward what, from a rent versus buy perspective, there's one other, th- this wasn't necessarily mentioned in the article, but there's one other dynamic that's going on here. And it's that there is in the years of 24, 23 and 24 record deliveries in apartment units. Right. And I'll have on the next, I'll, if you scroll forward, Ryan, that some, some of this will hit pretty close to home. Um, if you, there's a, 
there's a graphic that got put out the other day that shows mm-hmm. the top zip codes for ongoing compart- uh, apartment construction. Whoa. Yeah. And so all of us on this pod live in, live in Charlotte. Myself and Brian live in South End Charlotte. And there's, there's a light rail that goes through and there's a, a trail that runs along it. And what I always say when I'm describing what's going on here to, to people, you know, my friends and family back home is I'll say, you can't walk up and down that light rail and stop at any given point and do a 360 turn and not see an apartment building that's under construction. And it's, it's absolutely huge right now. So one of the number 15 in zip codes for ongoing apartment construction that hits close to home for us is, is this South end market. And there's close to three and a half thousand units that are currently under development, um, which I don't know. It doesn't shock me at all. Based on driving honestly, through this area, low, honestly, based I'm on honest. based on driving through this area, does that shock any of you guys? No, not at all. No, every, I mean, they're going up so quickly too. I feel like once one's finished, another one's being, you know, starting construction. Yeah. Well, this this graph that you're showing, these are just zip codes, and out of the top twenty five zip codes, three of them are in Charlotte. Four of them. Four. four, wait, of them four are in oh, yeah. wait, where's the. Uh, oh, actually, no, I, ex- I accidentally... <laughs> Three, I no, 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 four, four. The one. box was, should be up. Yeah, the yeah. box should be up. A yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't four. see that. Yeah. Those are my well, PowerPoint I mean, editing skills. The, the top one here, though... Rough. Good thing it's an audio North, <laughs> North Charlotte, I've heard uh, talking to people like, you know, I mean, it's it's hard not to talk about all the construction going on around here because it's so prevalent, but people who have lived here and I've talked to them about them, they're, a lot of people say that North Charlotte's going to be the next spot to grow. And I mean, it's number six on the zip code here. If you go where I used to live, yeah. there are three or four being built right around there. I guess it's it's everywhere. This is this is crazy. Just a quick reaction to this, this list too. Nashville, Central Nashville, seven seven thousand four hundred thirty one. That's that's pretty crazy. That's just nuts. just thinking about that, like the next one's five, you know, six thousand. So that's. That's pretty interesting. Anyway, yeah, but and, and I guess what, just to kind of wrap up this thought yeah. here on supply and demand dynamics, as as someone who kind of works in the in the multifamily real estate pl- space, is during the year, if you think about construction of an apartment building, right? Like from the time you get the permits to it, so from the time you buy the land, get the permits, you know, sign all the contracts, start developing it, right? It, this is not you know a quick process. This takes years. You know, we we see that live walking around. You know, there's all sorts of construction delays, right? Um, in the years from 2020 up until, you know, 2022, we were seeing crazy rent growth, especially in areas like Charlotte, like Nashville, right? That makes so many more people target that area as a spot for development, right? So they're, they're all saying, look at, yeah, look yeah. at all this yeah. rent growth in this area. There's obviously going to be a ton of people moving in here um, and the supply isn't going to sustain it. We can build a complex here, absorb some of that demand that's coming in and profit enormous, enormously. Right. And now what's happened is, uh, there's been kind of overbuilding in a lot of these sunbelt areas of everyone kind of flowing in capital was cheap, right? You could, you could easily justify, you could easily make a, a, a deal make sense from a financing perspective when interest rates were really low that we need to start this project. And now what happened is the music stopped, interest rates go way up. There's all these developers that are in over their skis with loans that they're going to have to refinance, but they have to finish up their building, right? So now we're going to have a ton of supply coming online in the next couple of years, probably more in some of these hot areas um, than demand will actually hold just because 
everyone wanted to get in on the game. And what we're going to see in these hot areas is that rent's actually going to get cheaper. Renting apartments in specifically like the Sunbelt areas where there's been a ton of, de- a ton of development is actually going to get cheaper in the next couple of years. And it's interesting because looking at graphs for rent growth uh, geographically across the country, the Midwest is leading rent growth right now. And it's not because there's more people coming in. It's because those markets were just completely ignored by developers moving into these high growth areas, you know, off the back of COVID and remote work and people moving to, to sunny areas. So, um, I guess that's the story for, that's the story for renting, right? So on a go forward basis, renting gets cheaper. Does owning a home get cheaper anytime soon? Well, these two quotes you have up here are worrisome. Yeah, let's read, let's read through the quotes. A couple quotes from an article. Supply is the issue, says Fannie Mae's CEO, uh, Priscilla Almodovar um, to CNN. There is no place to go. There is a lack of inventory. Um, Lawrence Yun, the chief economist at the National Association of Realtor, Realtors, tells CNN, there's not going to be a home price crash. You have a housing shortage. Home prices simply cannot decline in any measurable way. That's the supply side of the equation that's keeping those values elevated while, you know, the cost of finance goes up. So, you know, kind of given the dynamics, there's another graph I put down here of, of permits and, and starts on residential construction. You can see it's kind of waning over the next few years. And it's, it's just it's, it's gotten more expensive to build. Um, yeah. The people, the people who own real estate aren't selling it. The people who build real estate are in a very tough position to to make the numbers make sense. So I think home ownership just gets harder before it gets easier in the next few years. I didn't want to hear that. That's tough. Renting might get cheaper. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, allow you to save some more money for when it is, when buying houses is available. But as we said, you know, the... The competition and whenever that comes about is going to be extremely tough. So, so, so Dom, you know, you've done a, a lot of analysis on this and, you know, you're, you're, you're in this area. So what, what do you see, um, next three to four years? Like when is, is there going to be any good time to buy within like the next, what, what's your, what's your, what's your take on that next three to four years? It's, it's, it's tough to predict, right? It's tough to predict because I think that, that, shadow demand piece of the people who are, who really want to buy who are probably kind of people like us is so difficult to quantify my thought is for the next couple of years right we can see that renting um especially in these hot markets like I, I live in south end right if in the next year and a half there's 3500 more units that people need to move into right they're going to be offering specials to get people in the door there's going to be all sorts of downward pressure on the rent in that area because they're just not going to be able to get 3500 people overnight right so my next lease renewal is probably going to be you know a zero percent increase or i could move and maybe get some kind of special so it's it's a good time to rent right there's we we have some some time it it doesn't seem like interest rates are going to go down in a meaningful way anytime soon and houses don't get built overnight right so the supply side of the single family equation, I don't think it's better in the near term. My thought is you are in, are not in any kind of bad position right now to be renting for the next couple of years 
Um, I think you'll be better off for it. You'll save from a cash flow perspective. I don't think if you bought a house, you'd be able to refinance it in the next couple of years for any kind of meaningful savings. You, you wouldn't want to. Um, I think the tough part is going to be timing it at a point where interest rates have come down enough to make the home affordable for you, but not down far enough to unlock all of that demand of people who are exactly like us waiting for the interest rates to come down and so that they can capitalize on buying a home. Interesting. Great answer. Um, to, to, to wrap it all up, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on renting versus buying if you ignore the financial side of it uh, to some degree. Is home ownership really what, – what I guess is so attractive to you guys, if anything, about owning your own home? Brian, let's start with you. Is, uh, is home ownership be, something you'd want to? Yeah, be Ryan. Is it is it something that you'd want to pursue? Is there, is it attractive to you? A hundred percent. The issue is for me, it's like with renting, which I can't stand, but it's just the reality. It's like flushing money down the toilet. Like you just that money is just out the door, and there's nothing that like when your lease is up and you want to move, like you got nothing to show for it. And with owning a home. The best piece for me is like building equity in, in you know, I know people don't always look at their house as like an investment because like it's your home. You want to enjoy like where you live. But like at least when you're making payments, it's it's actually going toward like full ownership of, you know, an asset. And um, obviously at this age, like time is on our side, knock on wood to, you know, hopefully capitalize on like a long-term investment. Um, but yeah, I mean like obviously I want to buy a home, but you know, I can't justify the price and I can't justify the interest rate that it would take to, to get there right now. Brian, let's go to you. So equity, good point. Um, three things that I'm other things I'm looking at on the emotional side space. Yeah. I think that's a big one land Mm -hmm. and in our age right now, we move every year. Like, I've moved every year. Yeah. Every year in college. Every year since. My last lease was two years, and that's the longest yeah. I've ever had one. Yeah. and so it's, it's exhausting. So, one, I'm ready. You know, I grew up with land. I grew up with a yard. Like, I would love to have a yard to mow. It's crazy. I, I love mowing a yard. Nice Saturday morning, getting out there. Like, just, I can go walk around in my yard and, you know, play with my dog, throw the ball. I don't have to go to a park to do it. You know, I can let Penny run on the leash. You know, we can just, and I can have people over. I can have a bonfire. I can do things that I want to do, having land, having more space, having more people over, you know, and something that, you know, and because we move all the time, like I, I don't have a lot of fixed things in the house that I would love because like I have an awesome dartboard that my friend made for me downstairs. It is, it's probably three feet by four feet it's massive like it has uh, like a chalkboard on one side yeah. it has a dartboard i can't hang that in here it's heavy one but i'm not gonna 
structurally change a wall in here to do so because I'm renting. Yeah, it's I don't know. Your, it's not your space. So you I would, there's, there's, right. not the customi- there's not the customization and there's not the space. Correct. I, those are kind of like your big factors. Yeah, yeah. And space, you know, like I love an area for, you know, a living room area. And then What if you want to put a golf simulator up, you know? Correct. Something like that. Or just, uh, you know, an area where we have people over and then an area where I can go to watch a game. Yeah. Get out of the way. Yeah. I can have an area where I can have an office instead of, you know, it being in the foyer. And there's so many permanent things I want that we have to, you know, wait for and withhold because of the renting and moving every year aspect. It's almost like you're living light because you're not settled sure. in a way. Alex, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think don't have too much to add. I think just um, owning a home is going to be a hobby. And your yeah. money is going to be put towards owning a home. Um, if you don't want to have that responsibility, then renting, you know, you'd rather socialize and be with people and close to things like renting is going to be the option. So for me, that's that's really it. It's it's a hobby um, and the ability to customize. I think it's important. Yeah. Something to take it. pride in. Yeah, yeah. right. Like Absolutely. actually like be comfortable like in your own like living space. Yeah. yeah. I missed that part in, in my little speech but you hit on it Ryan. I'll, I'll throw out my kind of closing thought there and then we could either end with it or if you guys have thoughts on it we could we could go through those but the the way i think about it is is that space concept and the being able to customize your space or wanting to live on land and have that opportunity are the right reasons to buy a home right i think i value a lot the flexibility of being a renter. I'm not tied down to any specific location. Um, I can bounce around, but I don't have to. Um, if I don't want to, I can renew a lease. Sometimes it's maybe not at a price that's that's super agreeable um, to me, but I don't have to pay for all those fixed costs. I don't have to buy a, a lawnmower. I don't have to um, you know, save up a reserve for when my fridge breaks. You know, That's the responsibility of someone else. And I think there's a lot of value for me at least in the convenience of renting and not having um, to have those kind of financial and mental burdens impact me. Um, and then the other thing that I was really kind of interested in just from viewing your home as an investment is I think people see, especially in the build up to 2008, like I mentioned, there was a lot of demand because people saw home equity values, you know, kind of like doubling year over year. And everyone's like, this is going to be the bedrock of my, you know, financial portfolio. This is going to set me up for retirement. Right. And you can see those, those bumps. I included a graph on this last one. Just it's the monthly house price index for the U S from January, 1991 through present. Um, and you can see there's a big kind of spike and bubble around, you know, leading up to 08 and then obviously a, a, a trough after that. And then we've kind of exploded, um, from there on out. But the interesting piece that they kind of highlight in the graph is that the compound annual growth rate since January, 1991 is only 4.4%. And that's on how a home price appreciation. So if we're, if we're really thinking of our home, home ownership being the bedrock of our, you know, financial portfolio, I think it's really not that great of an investment considering that, you know, that's before considering all the additional investment you have to put into your home and the alternate source of that money. If you think about the down payment 
um, and the kind of returns you could earn on that elsewhere or the kind of returns you could earn on that in real estate that you just don't live in. This yeah. might sound super uneducated. I should rephrase my answer and say like an investment. Like obviously it is a financial investment to buy a home, but like I personally don't think you should be looking at buying a home as a investment to like that you're looking to like make yeah. money on. Correct. I know, like I said, that's yeah. an uneducated I, no, I, thing no. to say because you obviously want your saying. investment to appreciate over time. Like if you're going to sell, you want to make sure that it was like a good place to park it, your money. Right. But I don't look at like living, like buying a home and living somewhere for 20 years. Like it's not like, you know, like a stock where I'm going to buy it, look for the right chance to sell and just leave like that. I'm looking at it as like, that's going to be like my home. But I think there is kind of that. And, and I think you understand that being someone who's, you know, in commercial real estate and just an investment, you know, kind of professional in general. But I do feel that the overwhelming stigma around home ownership is, you know, you'll, you'll talk to kind of people who maybe don't, you know, have as much of an appreciation for, uh, you know, different financial options and, and aren't really in tune with that space. And, you know, let's say, yeah, you know, I bought my house for X price and, you know, it's appreciated all this much value and without kind of consideration of how much money they had to put into it and what that return actually looks like compared to anything else. So yeah. I don't know. My, my, my takeaway is that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to buy a place, buy it for the right reasons and, and buy it yep. because you want that, that space that's, that's your own. And, and, you know, I don't think as young people, we should be putting too much pressure on ourselves to think that, it's the smartest financial decision. I agree. That's a good point. But back to the, the point that you made, Brent. Like, if you're looking at it as an investment, and I'm going to combine this with what you what you said, Alex, with your home being a hobby, it can be an invest. Like, it it, it shouldn't be a, a, a reason, you know, to buy a home. But your home can appreciate so much by how much you care for it and put into it, and because it's where you're living, like it's where you put your head at night, it's where you walk around with your family, like you should care for it. And it should, it's something that can appreciate based on your input, which I think is attractive. And I think that if you really care for your home and put a lot into it and you eventually want to move, maybe because your, your kids move somewhere, or you have family somewhere or whatever reason you want to move, it can be a good investment. I don't think that's the reason you should buy it, but it can be. Not, not to blabber in this point. I actually used to think that. But now I don't after kind of reading some more stuff. That's interesting. Um, after, after Dom's PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think I, I think that um, people over. So for like what, like 70 percent of America or something, a vast majority, most of their net worth is tied up in their house. Right. So mm -hmm. for a lot of people, this is like very important to them and usually gets passed down to families. And that's how wealth is shared. Um, but to your point about. If you upkeep something, it'll like appreciate in value. I really don't think that's the case anymore because of our – this is maybe a different segment for a different day, but – Material costs? No, because everyone who gets – have you ever been with someone who says, oh, I love this house, but I have to change floors the first thing you move in? Floors are totally fine, but like it's just mm -hmm. not your style, right? Um, I've seen houses that have – that don't that clearly need work and ones that don't and the pricing clearly I don't think is that different. Um, I think people think that there's a, a discounted cost to buying things that are in shambles, but I I think that even the new houses, unless they're perfectly brand new and flipped, um, hmm. 
I don't actually don't. I, I've noticed people who don't maintain their houses still get the same dollar because because people, people are paying for location. And I think and, people think that they're getting a, a deal. An idea really of what they want in their head. It's so individualized, which I think so makes it a very difficult, uh, a very difficult product to look at as an investment. Um, yeah. So I really think it's, it's you're paying for space and you're, you know, people feel emotional about being in the same house and raising their kids and stuff like that. Like, I think there is value to that. But I don't think that I, I think, yeah, like Dom said, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this should be seen as an investment. No, anymore. I agree. Well, I guess I didn't explain it well. Well, I think you're right. And I, I'm, I'm looking at someone who is not looking to sell it at all. It's their forever home. Yeah. Right. right it's right, their forever right. home. I mean, but for one reason or another, yeah. what I'm saying is if for some reason that I would need to sell, it could be a lot more valuable based off of how I treated it than if I just, you know, expected to flip it and try to get max profit off of it. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're, I, maybe I, I, I think you're never going to be able to create more value from your intentional effort mm. than external factors will be able to create for your it's a good point. property, well which, a good be, point. Yeah. which would be inflows and stuff. Yeah. Final plug. I think a lot of people are going to come to this realization that we're kind of talking about here that maybe buying isn't the end all be all. Um, and, there's a new market which is going to be single family rentals that's already coming up and i think it's going to get a whole lot huger but it's communities that are built by institutional quality investors that look like a normal single family neighborhood and have a lot of those benefits um and i think that's going to be the option where a lot of people want to live um and i think if you're looking for somewhere to put money think about people who do a lot of uh, single family rentals